0: The 2016 American presidential election was one of the most dramatic in decades. The voter turnout was a low 58%. The campaign trail was full of twists and turns that persisted even after the election. The winner, Republican candidate Donald Trump, found himself besieged by negative media coverage and protests in cities around the nation. The demonstrators held signs emblazoned with slogans such as, quote, not my president, declaring Trump to be racist, sexist, xenophobic, or a Nazi. There were demands for a recount and threats of impeachment. Investigative journalism has revealed that many of these protests were instigated by certain interest groups. As shown in America Under Siege, Civil War 2017, a documentary directed by Florida-based researcher Trevor Loudon, a significant portion of the demonstrators were, quote, professional revolutionaries with ties to communist regimes and other authoritarian states, such as North Korea, Iran, Venezuela, or Cuba. Loudon's work also highlighted the role of two prominent American socialist organizations, the Stalinist Workers' World Party and the Maoist Freedom Road Socialist Organization. Having researched the communist movement since the 1980s, Loudon determined that left-wing organizations have made the United States their primary target for infiltration and subversion. The fields of American politics, education, media, and business have increasingly shifted to the left under the influence of well-placed individuals. Even as people around the globe cheered the triumph of the free world after the Cold War, Communism was stealthily taking over public institutions of Western society in preparation for the final struggle. America is the light of the free world and carries out the God-given mission of policing the globe. It was the involvement of the United States that determined the outcomes of the world wars. During the Cold War, facing the menace of nuclear holocaust, America successfully contained the Soviet bloc until disintegration of the Soviet and Eastern European communist regimes. The Founding Fathers of America applied their knowledge of Western religious and philosophical traditions to write the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States. These documents recognize as self-evident the rights bestowed upon man by God, starting with the freedoms of belief and speech established separation of powers to guarantee the republican system of government while the united states fought a civil war that war was for the purpose of fully realizing america's founding principles by ending the institution of slavery over 200 years those principles have done an unparalleled job of promoting domestic tranquility and securing the general welfare promised in the preamble to the constitution The freedom of the Western Hemisphere runs directly counter to the goal of communism, which is to enslave and destroy humanity. Masking itself with the beautiful vision of a collective egalitarian society, communism directed its envoys in human society to carry out its schemes across the entire world. While communism manifests itself in Eastern countries, such as the Soviet Union or China, as totalitarian governments, mass killing, and the destruction of traditional culture, It has been silently and steadily gaining control over the West, using subversion and disinformation. It is eroding the economy, political processes, social structures, and moral fabric of humanity to bring about its degeneration and destruction. Since the Communist Party does not have leadership over Western countries, Communist supporters, wittingly or not, disguise themselves by infiltrating all sorts of organizations and institutions. There are at least four major forces driving communist subversion in the West. The first agent of subversion was the Soviet Union, which founded the Communist Third International, also known as the Comintern, to spread revolution worldwide. The second means of subversion was affected by local communist parties, which worked with the Soviet Communist Party and the Comintern. Third, economic crisis and social upheaval have encouraged many Western governments to adopt socialist policies in the last few decades, resulting in a steady shift to the left. The fourth force of subversion comes from those who sympathize with and support the Communist Party and socialism. These fellow travelers serve communism as a fifth column of useful idiots within Western society, helping to destroy its culture, sow moral degeneracy, and undermine legitimate government. 1. Communism via Violence and Nonviolence In the popular imagination, the Communist Party is synonymous with violence, and with good reason. In the Communist Manifesto, Marx and Engels said, The Communists disdain to conceal their views and aims. They openly declare that their ends can be attained only by the forcible overthrow of all existing social conditions. The fact that the communist regimes of Russia and China took power through violent revolution and used violence as a tool of repression drew attention away from communism's less visible forms. The branch of Marxism that advocates violent revolution is represented by Leninism, which adapted the theory in two significant respects. According to Marx, communist revolution would begin in advanced capitalist countries, but Lenin believed that socialism could be built in Russia which was comparatively backward in its economic development. Lenin's second and more important contribution to Marxism was his doctrine of party building. Party building basically consisted of adopting the techniques of coercion, deception, and violence found in criminal organizations and animating them with Marxist socio-economic theory. According to Lenin, the working class is incapable of developing class consciousness or demanding revolution on its own and it must be rallied to action by external action. The agents of revolution would be organized in a highly disciplined proletarian vanguard, the Communist Party. The British Fabian Society founded in 1884, a year after Marx's death, took a different path in the struggle to impose socialism. The Fabian logo depicts a wolf in sheep's clothing and its name is a reference to Quintus Fabius Maximus Vericosus, the Roman general and dictator famous for his delaying tactics. In the Fabian Review, the first pamphlet produced by the group, a note on the cover reads, For the right moment you must wait, as Fabius did most patiently, when warring against Hannibal, though many censored his delays. But when the time comes, you must strike hard, as Fabius did, or your waiting will be in vain and fruitless. To gradually bring about socialism, the Fabian Society invented the policy of quote, permeation. To take advantage of available openings in politics, business, and civil society, the Fabian Society does not restrict the activities of its members, but encourages them to advance socialist aims by joining suitable organizations and ingratiating themselves with important figures, such as cabinet members senior administrative officials, industrialists, university deans, or church leaders. Sidney Webb, chairman of the Fabian Society, wrote, As a society, we welcomed the adhesion of men and women of every religious denomination or of none, strongly insisting that socialism was not secularism, and the very object and purpose of all sensible collective action was the development of the individual soul or conscience or character nor did we confine our propaganda to the slowly emerging Labour Party or to those who were prepared to call themselves socialists or to the manual workers or to any particular class. We put our proposals one by one, as persuasively as possible, before all who would listen to them. Conservatives, whenever we could gain access to them, the churches and chapels of all denominations, the various universities, and liberals and radicals, together with the other socialist societies at all times. This we called permeation, and it was an important discovery. Many members of the Fabian Society were young intellectuals. They made speeches and published books, magazines, and pamphlets across society. In the 20th century, the Fabian Society moved to the political scene. Webb became the Fabian representative, in the newly formed Labour Representation Committee of the Labour Party. In the Labour Party, Webb drafted its party constitution and party program. Taking a lead role in forming policy, Webb endeavored to make Fabian Socialism the guiding ideology of the party. The Fabian Society later acquired influence in the United States, where multiple groups exist in the liberal arts faculties across many universities. Whether Lenin's violent communism or the Fabian Society's nonviolent communism, both are manipulated by communism's evil specter and have the same ultimate aim. Lenin's violent communism does not reject nonviolent means. In his book, Left-Wing Communism and Infantile Disorder, Lenin criticized the communist parties of Western Europe that refused to cooperate with what he called the, quote, reactionary labor unions, or to join the, quote, capitalist national parliament. Lenin wrote in his book for a communist with a correct understanding of his own ends the art of politics lies in correctly calculating the conditions and the moment when the proletarian vanguard can take over power successfully he must decide when after this assumption of power that vanguard will be able to obtain adequate support from sufficiently inclusive strata of the working class and non-proletarian laboring masses and when it will be able to maintain, consolidate, and extend its supremacy, educating, training, and attracting ever-widening circles of the laboring masses. Lenin stressed again and again that the Communists must hide their real intentions. To seize power, no promise or compromise can be ruled out. In other words, to achieve their goals, they can be shamelessly immoral. On the road to power, both Russia's Bolshevik Party and the CCP utilized violence and deception to the utmost. The brutality of the Soviet and Chinese communist regimes has drawn attention away from the nonviolent communism found in the West. George Bernard Shaw, an Irish playwright and representative of the Fabian Society, once wrote quote, I also made it quite clear that socialism means equality of income or nothing and that under socialism, you would not be allowed to be poor. You would be forcibly fed, clothed, lodged, taught, and employed whether you like it or not. If it were discovered that you had not character enough to be worth all this trouble, you might possibly be executed in a kindly manner. The Fabian Society specialized in disguise. It chose Shaw, a literary man, to cover up the true aims of nonviolent socialism with beautiful words but the brutality lies below the surface. Western communist parties and their various front organizations incite young people to create an atmosphere of chaos. They take part in assault, vandalism, robbery, arson, bombings, and assassination to harass and intimidate their enemies. 2. War of Espionage and Disinformation Communism holds the nation to be an oppressive construction of class society, and it aims to abolish nationality. In the Communist Manifesto, Marx and Engels proclaim that, quote, Working men have no country. The manifesto ends on the note, quote, Workers of all countries unite. Under Lenin's leadership, the Bolsheviks founded the first socialist country in Russia and immediately established the Communist International, also known as the Comintern, to instigate and spread socialist revolution around the globe. The goal of the Soviet Union and the Comintern was to overthrow the legitimate regimes of every nation on earth and establish a socialist world dictatorship of the proletariat. In 1921, the Comintern's Far East branch set up the CCP, which would take over China in 1949. Apart from the CCP, communist parties around the world sought guidance from the Comintern and accepted its funds and training. With the resources of a vast empire at its disposal, the Communist Party of the Soviet Union, CPSU, recruited activists around the world and trained them to carry out subversive operations in their own countries. Founded in 1919, the Communist Party USA, CPUSA, was one such organization that followed the Comintern and the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. Though the Communist Party USA itself never became a major political force, its influence on the United States was nevertheless significant. The Communist Party USA colluded with activists and activist organizations to infiltrate workers and student movements, the church and the government. Dr. Fred Schwartz, a pioneer of American anti-communist thought said in 1961, quote, any attempt to judge the influence of communists by their numbers is like trying to determine the validity of the hull of a boat by relating the area of the holes to the area which is sound. One hull can sink the ship. Communism is the theory of the disciplined few controlling and directing the rest. One person in a sensitive position can control and manipulate thousands of others. It is now known that Soviet operatives were active within the US government during World War II. Despite this and the anti communist efforts of Senator Joseph McCarthy, the facts were hidden from the public by leftist politicians, academics, and the left wing media. In the 1990s, the US government declassified the Venona files decoded by American intelligence during the 1940s up to the end of World War II. These documents show that at least 300 Soviet spies were working in the U.S. government, including high-ranking officials in the Roosevelt administration who had access to top-secret information. Other agents used their positions to influence American policymaking and statecraft. Among those found to be Soviet spies were U.S. Treasury official Harry Dexter White, State Department official Alger Hiss, and Julius and Ethel Rosenberg, the couple who were executed by electric chair for transmitting military secrets and atomic technologies to the Soviet Union. The communications intercepted and decrypted by the Venona project are just the tip of the iceberg. The full extent of Soviet infiltration in the U.S. government remains unknown. As high-ranking American officials, some of the Soviet operatives had opportunities to influence important political decisions. Alger Hiss, the Soviet spy in the State Department, played a key role as President Franklin D. Roosevelt's advisor during the Yalta Conference at the end of World War II. He helped determine post-war territorial arrangements, draft the United Nations Charter, decide prisoner exchanges, and the like. Harry Dexter White, a trusted aide to Secretary of the Treasury Henry Morgenthau Jr., helped create the Bretton Woods International Financial Agreement and was one of the major personalities behind the establishment of the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank. White encouraged the Chinese Nationalist Party, Kuomintang, to enlist underground CCP member Yi Zhaoding in the Chinese Ministry of Finance. Taking up the post in 1941, Yi was the architect of disastrous currency reforms that damaged the Kuomintang's reputation and benefited the CCP's rise. Some historians argue that the influence of Soviet spies and their left-wing sympathizers in American foreign policy led the United States to end military aid to the Kuomintang during the Chinese Civil War after World War II. Mainland China was consequently lost to the CCP. Some scholars, such as M. Stanton Evans, argue that Soviet spies were most successful at influencing policy. Whitaker Chambers, a Soviet informant and Communist Party USA associate, who later defected and testified against other spies, said, quote, the agents of an enemy power were in a position to do much more than purloin documents. They were in a position to influence the nation's foreign policy in the interest of the nation's chief enemy, and not only on exceptional occasions, but in what must have been the staggering sum of day-to-day decisions. Yuri Besmanov. A KGB agent who defected to the West discussed Soviet methods of subversion in his writings and interviews. According to Besmanov, the James Bond-style spies of popular culture who blow up bridges or sneak around stealing secret documents couldn't be further from the reality of espionage. Only 10 to 15 percent of the KGB's personnel and resources were allocated to traditional spy operations, with the rest going to ideological subversion. Besmanov said that subversion comes in four stages. The first step is to foster the cultural decadence and demoralization of the enemy country. The second is to create social chaos. And the third is to instigate a crisis that would lead to either civil war, revolution, or invasion from another country, culminating in the fourth and final stage of bringing the country under the control of the Communist Party. This is called normalization. Besmanov, whose alias was Thomas Schumann, listed three fields of subversion—thought, power, and social life. Thought covers religion, education, the media, and culture. Power includes government administration, the legal system, law enforcement, the armed forces, and diplomacy. Social life encompasses families and communities, health, and relations between people of different races and social classes. As an example, Besmanov explained how the concept of equality was manipulated to create unrest. Agents would promote the cause of egalitarianism, making people feel discontent with their political and economic circumstances. Activism and civil unrest would be accompanied by economic deadlock, further exacerbating labor and capital relations in a worsening cycle of destabilization. This would culminate in revolution or invasion by communist forces. Ion Mihai Pachupa, the highest-ranking intelligence official in communist Romania, defected to the United States in 1978. He further exposed how the former Soviet Union and communist regimes of Eastern Europe adopted strategies of psychological warfare and disinformation against Western countries. According to Pachupa, The purpose of this information was to alter people's frame of reference. With their ideological values manipulated, people would be unable to understand or accept the truth, even when presented with direct evidence. Besbinov said the first stage of ideological subversion usually took 15 to 20 years, that is, the time needed for the education of a new generation. The second stage, two to five years, and the third stage, only three to six months. In a speech he gave in 1984, Besmanov said the first stage had been accomplished to a greater extent than the Soviet authorities had originally expected. The accounts of many Soviet spies and intelligence officials and declassified documents from the Cold War suggest that infiltration tactics were the driving force behind the counterculture movement of the 1960s. In 1950, McCarthy began to expose the extent of communist infiltration across the U.S. government and society. But four years later, the Senate voted for his condemnation, and the government's initiative to rid itself of communist influence was brought to a halt. This is one of the main reasons for the decline of the United States. The threat of communist infiltration has not lessened since the collapse of the Soviet Union and the end of the Cold War. As an example, McCarthy has been demonized by left-wing politicians and the media for ages. Today McCarthyism is synonymous with political persecution, an indication that the left-wing has successfully established dominance in the ideological struggle. The decades of suppression and defamation divvied out to U.S. anti-communist heroes like McCarthy indicate a general trend. As one conservative American political commentator observed, Anti-Americanism is a natural component of the global left-wing movement. The left-wing fights tooth and nail to protect adulterers, abortionists, criminals, and communists while supporting anarchy and opposing civilization.